member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way That's when Red Sox Day just on rocks Good Evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, could be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. Red Sox just wrapped up a Three-game set against the Kansas City Royals, sweeping them all three games. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and making his first appearance on the Benny and the Bets podcast, Lou Avilas. How are you guys? What's going on? I am doing okay. Well, uh, I mean, how are, how are you, Terry? How are you? <laughs> no one ever asked me how I am. I'm phenomenal. Can't say that. I just did. I true. <laughs> I, I am phenomenal, and uh, you know the the Red Sox did their jobs, albeit against a kind of a shitty team. But we'll take that, won't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I would take the word "kind of" away from your comment about how shitty the Royals are. <laughs> yeah, they suck. They do kind of suck. It's all right. The Yankees have played. Yankees have played Baltimore twelve times. We'll be good. Absolutely. So, Lou, you first time on the show. Why don't you uh, tell everyone where you're from? You know a little bit about yourself. Well, well I'm from Springfield, Mass. Uh, Thirty years old. Just started doing podcasts. Going to be going to school for it. Uh, starting in July. Um, God willingly, um, everyone can find me at Louisvillas31 on Twitter. Uh, I also do my own podcast called the Just Dingers Podcast um, that me and you talk about a lot. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, this is all new to me, but I mean, been watching the Red Sox since 2003. Follow them every damn day of my life. So this is what I do. It's, it's a grind, you know, being a fan of a team like this, especially with the, the wild swings from season to season, you know, World Series right. to, you know, last place some years. This year we're kind of grinding it out and, you know, trying to position ourselves for another run. But uh, glad to have you uh, with us nonetheless. So, as I said in the intro, the um, Red Sox scored a sweep here. So, not too many things to gripe about, but we'll uh, kick off heroes and zeros. Jeremy, uh, why don't you uh, tell everyone who your hero for this series is? It's kind of obvious, but I'm, I went Chris Sale. Um not a lot to say here other than he was awesome. He dominated a really bad lineup, and they had two or three guys that literally had no chance. They might as well have toothpicks in their hands. But it's it's important that he starts winning games 
Um, and he, you know, being one in seven, I, I know that wins and losses are kind of an antiquated stat for starting pitching in, in today's Major League Baseball, but your ace can't be one in seven. He's pitched better than that, especially after the first month of the season. So I thought this was a real big uh, start for him. I, I don't know that I needed to see him get a complete game, but he did it in 102 pitches, so I don't see a lot of risk to his health. Three hits, 12 strikeouts, lower to ZRA to 3.84. He's um, you know, back where he should be, and he has solidified the starting rotation at a time where we don't have a fifth starter, which is, spoiler alert, I'm going to touch on in my zero. Yes, um, it, it was a, a dominant start for him, and he had three really tough starts before that. Not necessarily bad starts, but the matchups were pretty tough. The Astros twice, the Yankees in there. Um kind of you know labored through those and this was a start where he could kind of relax kind of get into a groove struck out 12 batters over the course of you know the complete game didn't walk anyone I kind of had a little bit of an issue with sending him out to the eighth and ninth you know innings with a seven or eight run lead I mean but, you know, I, I guess if that's all I have to gripe about it, you know, that's not, uh, you know, too bad. Lou, what did you think of uh, Sale in this start? I mean, just just for the Red Sox, giving that man some run support was huge. I mean, we gave him six runs of support, made him comfortable against a team that he knew that he could dominate, and he went out there and dominated. I mean, like you guys said, 102 pitches a complete game. You know, he, he never overworked in this game. He t- Topped out at 98 miles an hour late in this ball game. A lot of, just a lot of the positives that came out of this game. You know what I mean? Um, but he was he was fantastic, fantastic. That that immaculate inning was again twice. What is it in a month? He's done it. I mean, he's dominant when he's this nasty. He's he's unhittable. He's unhittable. So I mean, that was that was an amazing amazing outing by Sale. Absolutely. What what one thing you mentioned there because there's some superfluous things. Like first of all, the complete game, it's a little bit unnecessary. And I thought that with his health issues, I wouldn't have mind him coming out in the eighth. Um, I, I think he it was a situation where he finished the game because that's what he wanted, which is fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. But the other thing that I don't think was superfluous, he was. I think you said he was 98 or 97 in, the, in that ninth inning on, on a four-seamer, that's the thing that I was like, okay. Right. Like that, exactly. That's that's exciting. Exactly. He's at 100, He's at like 98, 99 pitches. He's gotten up and down eight times. In his, he's in his ninth inning. And bingo, he's still throwing 98. So a lot of the concerns we've had, actually all the concerns we had uh, five weeks ago, uh, I just, you, you can't velocity, complain about, velocity, yeah, right. yeah, with, with velocity, it's not just velocity, it's stuff, it's location, it's throwing all, I, he had one bad change up where I think they put a pretty good swing on it, but other than that, um, you know, it's, he was really good location-wise, velocity-wise, consistent throughout all, all 102 pitches, it was, it was a great outing, and the, uh, you know, you can only face the team you face, so, I don't hold it against him that it was the Royals, so you know. But uh, right. you know that sale was my uh, hero. Yeah, and with this fastball, though, it's not really the, the thing that 
he doesn't have a lot of late movement on his fastball. The thing that made it so great was that he could throw it out of the same arm slot as the rest of his pitches. And where he could throw gas, it would just kind of keep them off balance, you know, when he did throw his slider, his changeup. And I just... I just don't really care to see him throwing that late in games. I mean, it's nice to see that he can do it finally, but I think his off-speed stuff is going to be what ultimately, you know, helps him dominate, at, you know, at this point. And, and going forward, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I can, I can take – him, you know, with a complete game there, but I don't want to see a pattern of it because, you know, if we're constantly letting him come out for an eighth inning, what did we learn from the previous years? You know, we're not handling right. him any differently. So, um, I just, I just want to see him. I just want to see him strong in the later months of the year. And with the team, you know, now we've climbed back up to, I think, four games over 500. I'm really just game by game at this point. I'm trying not to look too far ahead because we have to, you know, the team has to steadily, you know, distance themselves from a 500 record to ultimately compete for the division anyway. So, um, yeah, so those are just my thoughts on sale. Lou, who's your hero, buddy? My hero is going to be Devers. I mean, this kid has grown right in front of our eyes. It's not only with now just his bat, but his glove. Like, ever since that eighth era that I talked about even on my podcast, the guy is just working. He's working. He's busting his ass. Cora's busting his ass. And he's showing it. But with his bat, I mean, 316 average, nine homers, 40 RBIs, tied with Xander for tops on the team. Eight stolen bases. Is another big thing for him because all last year all he had was five. Um, you know, in his last 15 games, batting 343 with 23 hits, six homers, and 18 RBIs. He's just on fire. His exit velo right now is tops in baseball off his bat. He has 98 balls hit with an exit velo of 95 miles per hour or plus. Um, you know, he's batting 290 against lefties. He has eight winning RBIs. That's tops in the league of any of any team. So. It's just everything. And like I said, again, his glove. Now he's making the routine plays look routine. You know what I mean? Like, it was the hard plays, the sprawling plays, the diving plays that he looked, you know, wow, it's a web jet. But then the ball that was in front of him with a three-hopper, he bobbled it. And it was he was playing hot potato. It's not like that right now. He's solid all around. This kid, he's putting himself up there in those names. You know what I mean? As a top third baseman in baseball. Like, I know we have Nolan and guys like that, like Manny. I mean, I know Manny plays shortstop in there. But still, like, Devers right now, he's doing it all. So that's my hero. I, I think um, along with Devers emerging, not just offensively, but defensively, like you've stated, along with Holt has solidified this infield, you know, across the board, because there's still kind of an unknown. And Chavis has, has made plays at first, but he's, you know, still learning the position clearly. Uh, and I, I heard today that Moreland's uh, going to be back pretty soon. So with the way Holt's been at second, the Pedroia situation's kind of cleared up, and then Devers being as good as he is, um, it's it's solidified the infield defense. It's solidified consistent offense from multiple positions. Um, so, yeah, and, and I tweeted 
last night a little bit um, on the on the Devers topic, and and we, Terry and I were discussing his ceiling, and I don't I don't necessarily think this is his ceiling, but I asked the question uh, to the Twitterverse if if he has the upside of like an Adrian uh, Adrian Beltre in his prime. I, I don't see it. Adrian Beltre was an elite defensive player, and and I think he had three thousand hits. Correct, uh, correct. So so he I mean he's you know he's a he's a first or second ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, I, that's to say that he Devers has that sort of upside is to is to suggest that he potentially is on his way to a Hall of Fame career. I don't know that. I don't. I'm not there yet. But I think it's not. Um, out of the out of the universe to start to have that discussion about where can he be if he's going to be this type of player over a 162 game season. I mean, he's in the MVP race right now, and uh, he's been more valuable to this team than certainly a guy like you know Mookie Betts for one. Correct. Um, so, and I, if you told me that in January, that's something we would be saying in June. I would. I would ask you to go take a drug test. So, uh, you know, he's been awesome. He's been awesome for a long time, and he's been awesome uh, not uh, more than what you would expect with the offense. He's been he's been good defensively. He's solidified along with Holt uh, the uh, the infield defense. So I, I agree with your choice, and I think it's a good decision. He's definitely been a popular pick for this segment. You know, in recent weeks. Um, when you post the Beltre question, I wasn't really thinking much defense. And, you know, when you add that in, yes, I do feel he probably does fall short of Beltre. With the bat, I'm intrigued. And I think it could, it could become a close enough comp offensively. And with this improved defense, and he's made so many great plays, like his footwork's improved. He's made a lot of, you know, barehanded, you know, catches, you know, on, on short grounders. And, you know, he's firing missiles to first base, and he's just right on the money every time. He's not overthrowing it. He's not one-hopping it. Just extremely clean in his execution. And... If you go back a month ago or, or five or six weeks ago, somewhere in that vicinity, I I know I mentioned on the show that he's not going to be a third baseman, you know, probably starting next year once Dahlbeck comes up and you have Chavis up. And, you know, several weeks later, you know, sitting where we are, I'm like, well, apparently he's your third baseman for at least the next five or six years, depending on, you know, how, you know, if he gets extended or, or whatever. But I just, I didn't see this coming. Xander Bogarts. No one did. Yeah. Xander Bogarts was terrible in 2014 and just a, an absolutely terrible defensive shortstop. And Pedroia worked with him the following offseason and, I don't think he's ever been elite. He actually had a negative one defensive war, but he's been more than adequate at shortstop for the last, you know, several years, last four or five years. And and now we're seeing Devers make, you know, a leap early in a season. And I just, and not only that, I mean, he was by far the most, you know, robust you know, run producer this series. I mean, he had a dinger, drove in seven runs, scored six runs, just 
by far, I think, the MVP of this series. And I just, you know, I didn't see any of this coming. That ball he hit today for that for those two runs to put us up 4-2, that ball is at 112 miles off his bat. Like, this guy, it doesn't matter what he hits, he's handed hard. Absolutely. He's got he's got he's got as much talent swing talent as anyone in in the big leagues. He yeah. really does. He has hands, he has bat speed. He and he does it while staying relatively balanced most of the time. The one thing that I will say that I've noticed um about his defense is the biggest improvement I've seen is his ability to make a good decision on when to play the hop. He's stopped taking short hops. He's he's and he's trusting his arm strength a little bit more, which I think is part of it. He'll sit back and wait for the big hop. He'll he'll make a good decision on getting the 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 early hop by charging a ball. And then what what what's the the cause and effect of that is he sets his feet and then he's he he's making good solid throws as a result. Consistent throws that are not you know, testing the first basement. Yeah, he's become accurate as a result. So it's a couple stages. One, he's getting better hops, and as a result, he's he's having the time to to get his base set. And then as a result, uh, uh, the third level of the process is he's making good, consistent throws. So, look, obviously the guy works hard, and the other th- that's clear, right? Because you don't see this level of success, um, especially with the defense, which was such a bad issue like as early as six weeks ago. Right. The other thing is that he's so fucking likable. Um, <laughs> he's like, you know, the the tweets when he does, it's like, what do they say? If he wins the MVP this year, who I can't remember who tweeted, but I saw a tweet today that says, if he wins the MVP this year, he'd be the first thirteen year old to win the to, to win the MVP. <laughs> he's yeah, he's just a likable, like little goofy, here. overgrown kid, you know. So <laughs> I mean, I can't say enough positive things about Rafi Devers. Yeah, and another thing, too, you know, I try to do live streams throughout the week to kind of plug the show and whatnot, and I had one probably two or three weeks ago where I said, Devers is closing the gap on Alex Bregman, and I conceded that he might not necessarily surpass Bregman, but, you know, the gap is shrinking, and everybody laughed. They're like, dude, Bregman's an MVP candidate, you know, what the hell are you smoking? And I just... I've just seen the momentum building, and I'm talking more offensively at this point. And I just, Jeremy, you said just five minutes ago he's he's going to be an MVP candidate. And I think Trout, I, I was looking at his stats earlier, and if he stays healthy, he's going to win it. But Devers could be, you know, third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in there, which I would take every single year. And I just... He's he's taking the league by storm right now, and and the skeptics are slowly going to go away. I feel like throughout the the course of the year. Yeah, I don't know where he's going to end up in the MVP race. My comment was more like right now. You know, he's he's an MVP candidate. the The other thing I'd just say about Bregman, Bregman has a track record of doing this for years. Um, Correct. And De- Devers, at least the defensive thing, has come together kind of shockingly within the last four weeks. I mean, look, he had not nine errors through the first 30 games or 25 games. Like, he sucked. So, um, you know, something changed. Some, there's, there's been some, you know, light bulb that has turned on. Bregman has a track record of 
being a legitimate, you know, plus player in multiple, you know, both offensively and defensively. So I don't know that he's quite there. I'm not ready to say he's going to be an MVP candidate in September. I'm just happy to be, to see the growth and excited about what he could be if he continues to and, and get better. I mean, he's still what, 20, what, two years old. 22? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, look, everything's going the right way, right? It is. Uh, I'd like to see him get in a little bit better shape. I'd like to see him uh, lose a little bit of the baby fat, um, I think, and and I think that'll help keep him healthy over 162 games. And but he's trending the right way. He's exciting. I root for him. He's one of the guys I really like. Uh, we've talked, you know, Lou. I don't know how much you've listened to this podcast, but just because uh, somebody wears a Red Sox uniform doesn't mean we like the player, like what he stands for, right. like the way he acts. Uh, right. I, and I'm not saying that about Devers. I, you know, I. I root for him specifically. He's a very, very, very likable guy. And obviously, the the production makes it even easier. I think right. Devers is. Three, I mean, he had, three, he, had, he had three RBIs in his first 24 games this season. He has 37 in his last 36. Like, everything is trending. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's everything. It's a complete circle. And it's he, a complete 360 from what he did in the beginning of the season. He hit 351 for the month of May. That's why he was the American League Player of the Month. And most of, if not all of his home runs came in the month of May. And he must be up to 9 or 10 now. Um, and and I got Bregman's stats up too. Uh, you know, he's, he's hit 17 home runs, but he's been consistently, you know, knocking them in, uh, you know, throughout the year. His batting average is about 40 points lower than Devers. And, you know, Devers is kind of closing the gap, you know, in the war category. But another thing, too, I wanted to point out, I think Devers is kind of trimming down. I have noticed he is a bit trimmer. And I can't remember if it was game one or two of the series. He went from first to home, you know, on a base hit. So, you know, he's got the – he's, you know – and Jeremy, you texted me privately, you know, during one of the games, you know, and was praising his base running instincts. And I just, I think everything, literally everything, is going the right way. And let me say this: I meant to say it earlier. I was, I was so out of it today. I, I missed most of the game, and you know, I, I was taking a nap, and I woke up and checked my phone, and I saw runners on second and third with Devers at the plate, and it was just the Red Sox game cast site or whatever, and there were two outs in the inning, and the game was tied 2-2, two to two. and I said, ah, he's he's going to drive them in. It's going to be 4-2 to two in a second. And I dozed off for about 10 minutes and then checked my phone. Sure enough, 4-2. to two. And uh, that's, the ball, that's the ball that he roped at 112 miles an hour. The center field. Right up the middle, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right up the middle, correct. I saw that. And and one last thing I'll point out, and then we can move on, is up until last week, he was leading Major League Baseball with highest average exit velocity at 95 miles an hour. So he's just absolutely, you know, destroying the ball. He's hit 98 balls at 95 miles per hour, and that's tops in baseball. Yeah, okay. That's what I heard, and so just I can't I can't praise this kid enough because you know you had you had Mookie and JD kind of seemingly neck and neck you know for the MVP race last year and they were a huge part of 108 wins and you got Devers kind of quietly 
on a track that they were on last year. Probably more closer to JD, but still. Uh, let, let me get into my hero. I, I went last for this pick. Mine's uh, a little more quieter. Um, Andrew Benintendi, 5 for 13 this series. Didn't uh, hit any home runs or drive anyone in, but he did score a run every game. So I'm hoping this is kind of a product of getting him out of the leadoff spot and into his familiar two-hole. And, uh, you know, if we're going to... If we're gonna, you know, sustain some momentum here, I think Benintendi, um, you know, hitting well out of the two hole is, uh, you know, kind of essential. And where he's a lefty, Devers has been hitting uh, fourth as well. So that's a nice two four with JD in the middle there. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talked about this a lot. Uh, we talked about it in the offseason, the idea of taking Mookie out of the leadoff spot. I was always kind of against it, and I felt that when they did it, it was catering to him. Uh, he never made the request known publicly, but I felt like it was coming from him. I mean, we won a World Series with him as the leadoff hitter and Benny hitting second, and it led perfectly into JD and what the rest of the lineup did. I was always just totally confused by it frustrated and then the, and then as Ben Intendi struggled especially in the first inning he was like the worst you know I think we were the worst batting average in all of baseball leading off a game at like under 100 it just didn't make yeah, sense was, to me and he I, was hitting 300 then he was in 300 after the third inning something like that yeah I mean <laughs> so and look I Look, hitting leadoff is is not for everybody. It's 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 a mindset that you know you think that the professional athlete would have, but it's not for everybody. Some people love it, some people don't. Pedroia always was on record as saying he wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, so I, I just didn't understand it. And then as he struggled, I get increasingly frustrated with it. I'm not surprised to see him starting to hit as his role has changed back to normal. This this team was 108 wins with the one and two being Mookie and Benny, guys that stayed healthy all year and stayed in that role all year. It just it, it was confusing. I, I, I again I end with the fact that I gotta believe that Mookie had asked for this. Uh, Mookie is not uh, one of the people that I feel like has popped here, um, but Benny has had a good series. And uh, I feel like when he starts to hit, he quietly sets the table for the guys, uh, for JD, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, he, he can set the table. He can be a, run, you know, producing guy without hitting first, which clearly is not for him. Yeah, I, I was one of those guys, too, that I when I heard Cora, you know, in his little press conference say, hey, we're going with uh, Benny leading off and and bet second. I. I stopped and I said, I was like, wait a second. This doesn't make any sense. Like, to me, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And, I mean, we've had bets leading off for, you know, for the seasons he's been leading off. And he's, you know, MVP candidates and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, why change it? Benny is no leadoff hitter. I feel like there's some there's some hitters that has to, you know, stand in the on-deck circle, see what the pitcher has, prep for a game plan, and come out and do it. You get what I'm saying? And bets takes a lot of pitches. Benny's over here flaming at three pitches and he's sitting down. I, I didn't like it from the beginning. I, I was I was one of those that didn't like that at all. You know, I just it's it bothers me that these guys are that finicky that they can only hit in in certain spots of the order. I mean, 
Mookie Betts is might get a four hundred million dollar contract, but he he hits like he's not a, earning it this year. No, but he if he can only do it out of the out of the one hole, it's it's just the weirdest thing ever. And um, you know, Benintendi, it affected him and and you know, batting leadoff, like you said, you know, historically, basically the worst leadoff hitter, you know, in, in Red Sox history for whatever the sample size was. And, right. you know, but when when Mookie is leading off, I mean, the, the edge he has is they can't, they can't afford to let him on base, you know, with three or four dangerous hitters right behind him. I mean, ben, Benny's heating up. JD, I'll get to him in a minute. Um, you know, Devers is killing it. Bogarts. I mean, if he gets on it, it almost feels like it's going to be an automatic run scored basically with, with those guys hitting first and third. It's a first and third threat. If, if Mookie gets on either via walk or he gets a base fit, Benny's one of those guys that can spread the ball. And with Mookie speed, he's on third base. You know what I mean? The rest of the guys behind him with all those RBI opportunities are going to get them. And I just felt like core started playing with those strings and not, I didn't understand it. Absolutely, and if if he's hitting third and there's two outs in the inning, you know they don't necessarily have to pitch to him, you know. And it's so I, you know, he uses it to his advantage. But you would just think a generational talent like him w- could thrive in any part of the order, but it, you know yeah. the data just doesn't support that. So, anyway, uh, why don't we uh, get over to our uh, zeros now. Uh, Jeremy, who do you have? Weber. He sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm done I'm done with the Weber experiment. Um, uh, and thank God it was against the Royals because he didn't give you a chance to win. He, he went an inning and a third. Um, I think he threw about 33 pitches, five hits, two runs, two earned. And if they didn't have the foresight to remove him, it could have been worse uh, fast. Uh, as they, they do, the bullpen, you know, Brewer pitched Walden, Brazier, Taylor, Hembry, and then Barnes with a little bit of a heart attack save. So, um, you know, look, I mentioned in my with Sale, he solidified the rotation, at least as far as the guys you expect to be there. They need a Valdi back. Um. Weber is not the answer. Um, I don't know that we currently have the answer. I was always in the mindset that hopefully Keuchel was an option. Apparently, he never was. The Red Sox never were mentioned in talks with Keuchel. And it looks like he's now gone to the Braves for one year and like $10 million or whatever it is. You're the Red Sox. You, you could light cigars with $10 million and not bad an eye. So... But they're choosing to go with what we got. They have not improved the bullpen. They have not improved the starting rotation. They haven't done fucking anything except for continue to roll Weber out there who fucking sucks. And so I'm done with Weber uh, officially, uh, and I hope the Red Sox are too. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to make it in Major League Baseball as a starter, and being a reliever would probably be a long shot as well. I did notice, though, that in the first inning with two outs and only Alex Gordon on base, Cora did have the bullpen warming. I think Josh Taylor was up at that point. And um, so, I mean, he just seemed to 
know from the start he was only going to use him as an opener and just kind of hope for the best. And you know he only went an inning and a third, and uh, not you know not very impressive. So at least the manager knows which, what he has in him, and which is not much, and didn't really let the Sox you know get get beat up too much with him. Yeah. I mean, look, obviously that might be one of the reasons why they had Sale go the nine innings because they they, they figured Weber would be an opener. Um, an opener, I think, technically is one inning. Uh, so, I mean, why is he out for the second if he's, you know, quote-unquote opener? So I don't know. I mean, I, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if we're going to get an answer to that. But, um. And, and and I guess my zero isn't necessarily Weber because I don't I don't blame Weber. I mean he is what he is. He's not you know he's probably a four A type of guy. It, it's my frustration is the fact that again I mentioned Keuchel, I mentioned the fact that we've the organizational depth has gone to hell in a handbasket with BJ injured Velasquez, uh, you know effectiveness uh, and then the injury which I don't know if that's real or perceived. The Bruins just cut the lead two to one. Um, the but but at the end of the day, my I guess I could now that I've even talked through it and gotten some feedback from you guys, I, the zero is Dombrowski for putting us in this fucking position. Correct. Because 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 Keiko was there. You you're the fucking Red Sox. I mean I, I mean it's just you know now I'm about to get frustrated with the whole thing and I don't want to do that. And you're in a hole. Just, and you're in a hole in, in third place and you have Keiko. Yeah 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 exactly. You have a mountain to climb to get to first in the East. So I mean, and, and I had a Yankees friend of mine literally laugh in my face when I told him we were tied for a wild card spot. He's like, "You loser!" I'm like, "Dude, we have to overcome both the Rays and the Yankees, and the Yankees are only going to get better." Talk about Yankees getting like deadline deals. They got their own players coming back. They don't have to. They're basically getting deals. They're getting deals right yeah. now. Yeah, superstars, fucking yeah. superstars coming back. So, I mean, just to me, it, it, the fact that every, you know, and then the goddamn Braves of all teams, the Cubs with, with Kimbrell, teams are already taking the steps to improve their roster, and Dombrowski's sitting on his thumb and rotating. It's just Think getting about frustrating. This. Tampa, Tampa was willing to pay Kimbrell. That goes to show you that they're, they're going for the throat. Yeah, actually, let's. I want to kind of make that a bit of a, a segment after we get through with this. So we'll we'll get back to Keiko and Kimbrel, and uh, I'll have some thoughts on Dombrowski as well. Um, uh, go ahead, uh, Lou, with your zero. My zero has to be Michael Chavis. I mean, thirty-one strikeouts in his last seventy-five at bats. He's hitting two hundred in that stretch. He just can't see the fastball. If I'm not mistaken, Verlander threw him 14 straight fastballs. He can't hit it. He was hitting all these all-speed you know, pitches for home runs, hitting them 500 feet. But if you can't hit a fastball, you have to make an adjustment. He's flating. His swing is so long. And it's something that Remy was talking about. His, his head is everywhere. His shoulders are flying out. He's not making the adjustments. He got blown away. What do you strike out today? Twice, three times? Like That's all he's been doing. He just can't see the fastball. No matter what, they, no matter who's up there pitching, he can't see it. That's my zero. I feel like they got to come up with some sort of, you know, bullshit injury. You know, give him, put him on a ten day DL or IL, whatever it's called now, and just let him make an adjustment. You know, figure it out. Because the kid obviously has some upside to him. He, he he has been playing a really good first base. 
you know, he came up, he helped us at second base. He did a phenomenal job not being a second baseman. You know, kudos to him. First base is doing a good job. But, you know, with the stick is what you was making, you're, you know, oh, my God, look at Michael Chavis. This is what he's doing. And now right now he's just looking like he's completely lost. All right. Terry, you want to go first? or I'll, Because uh, I have plenty to say here. I do as well. Let me just point out that he did strike out three times today. He struck out eight times uh, you know, throughout the series, which was by far the most. And um, his plate discipline sucks. I mean, that's that's yeah. terrible as yeah. well. So go ahead, Jeremy. I am not ready to, to move on from Chavis, and I'm going to tell you why. It, but before I do that, I want to say that I am a huge fan of him getting back-to-back days off. Hit the reset yeah. button. Yeah. Give, I don't think the DL is appropriate because um, that's too much. And then with Moreland, may, maybe if Moreland comes back, that's that becomes an option. But with Pierce out and Moreland out, Chavis is your first baseman, and he's an, clearly not a natural first baseman. Um, but look, the guy, as bad as he's been, he still has 10 bombs, 28 RBIs, 22 runs scored, He's hitting 248, which I don't care about if you're going to slug, which he's done. He's getting on base at a 337 clip, and his OPS is 802, which is like 70 points above the Major League Baseball average. And that's with the dip in production. Now, he's a rookie. He's been put in a very difficult spot because they're asking him to hit, you know, in you know in the in the middle-ish kind of the lineup, yeah. and. He look so I, his upside is is still to me monumental. I don't see him as a high average. I don't want him to hit for an average. I want him yeah. to get on base at a three fifty clip and slug because that's what he is. Now he definitely needs like the, it, it's coming too fast. He hasn't had day a day off. He's becoming an everyday player uh, immediately. I mean, he was just drafted in fourteen. He's uh, he was born in ninety five, so you know he's. 24 years old i mean look I, I this guy can help this team and i think he's going to i don't want to overreact to the dip in production in the last 10 days get him a blow give him a break whether you got to wait for Moreland to come back and it's going to be a few more days before you do it fine but this guy is a productive major league player and he is a major league player he's major league ready uh and so i don't want to overreact to the i didn't overreact when he was you know, hit slugging at an MVP rate for the first 15 games. And I'm not going to overrate now that he's struggling, uh, you know, now, whatever it is, uh, 30 games into his career. He's Yeah, I mean, Core, Core does have the option because he does have, you know, Brock Holt coming back, and we all know that Brock Holt can play every position in the infield. I feel like, like you said, Moreland comes back. We still have Brock Holt. And the way that Nooney, that we have, no one's touched on Nunez, but Nunez has been swinging it. And, I mean, yes, we all know his glove, he's trash. But I mean, it's it's an it's an option to give Michael a few days to like kind of take a deep breath, relax, go watch some video, figure it out, and we all know that take the swing it is just making the adjustment. But if if there's no Moreland and there's no Pierce, who's your first baseman? Well, I, I, I mean, mean Holt, I guess because Holt's been there a little bit. Terry, I I know you're itching to chime in, so I'll I'll defer to you. Well, I mean, you were on the kind of Holt. Nunez has seen time there. Um, I just want to say this though, he's, he was one for 13 in this series. He was two for 20 out of his last 25. 
he's just hot garbage at the plate. He's an automatic out, and I don't think optioning him back to Pawtucket for a couple weeks, two, three weeks, is the worst thing ever. And that can't happen until Moreland comes back, which we think is going to be pretty quick here. He thought he would only need the minimum 10 days. And I just... I, I'm not worried about his confidence. And I, I made a similar comment last year with Devers when he was struggling mightily. And I think he spent some time on the DL. But, you know, send him down and let him figure it out in Pawtucket. And if if it's going to hurt his confidence, if that, if that thing is going to be a, a huge setback for him, then he's not tough enough to play in Boston anyway. So I yeah. just, but I, that being said, I'm an optimist. I really am. I think, I think he's going to be a huge part of what the Red Sox do this season. Uh, you know, even if he does get sent down and I, I just, I don't think, I don't see anything, you know, getting sparked while he's up here. I just think he's, he's lost. I think opposing pitchers know exactly how to pitch him and he's he's just a hot mess in in so many different areas. Yeah, yeah, he can't he can't hit up and away fastballs, and but that's part of struggling. You know, I mean, everyone's gone through it. I mean, JD, you know, was struggling. He was he was your zero last podcast, Terry. And part of it is he was starting to guess a little bit more than he wanted to because he wasn't seeing the ball well and he just wasn't feeling feeling it and you know Chavis is going through that and I'm not saying that uh sending him down to Pawtucket's a bad idea I just think that he is a major league baseball player he is major league ready Uh, I think he can contribute and I think he's always one swing away from a three-run home run and you just can't say that about everyone um so you know I I, I'm I'm not gonna like you know go do a live stream and, and freak out if he's called down I just I would prefer to try the couple you know, the back-to-back days off to see if you can get him back to being productive because his upside, I mean, let's be, let's face it, as, as good as Moreland was in the first four weeks of the year, uh, Chavis has better upside power. Uh, you know, he's a little, he obviously is younger, he's more athletic, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I, I don't mind the way Pierce has struggled all year. I don't mind Moreland as the lefty and Chavis as the righty. At first, with Chavis also giving you flexibility at second and third. But, you know, uh, I think they're going to figure it out. And honestly, if they keep winning, I don't really care who's getting the at-bats as long as the, the you know they start to win some games here. I just checked on Pierce. If anyone's wondering, uh, he was added to the DL about a week ago. And uh, there was a report yesterday saying uh, he's made no progress in recovering. So... This could be... Yeah, he hasn't even had any uh, like baseball activity. Right, exactly. So eventually somebody's going to be the odd man out. And, uh, I mean, if he's, you know, a long ways off, then, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's on the wrong end of uh, being DFA'd. Chatham and Dahlbeck, I mean, they're still in double A. They'd have to at least have a cup of coffee and... Pawtucket before you know they can you can even start having a conversation about their debuts so um so nothing's probably imminent but I I don't see Pierce coming back anytime soon and 
you know, Moreland, again, should be back. And I hope Chavis does figure it out. But he's just so fundamentally flawed in, in a lot of different areas. I just don't see an overnight fix. You know, I just think it's it's going to take a little bit of time. And, you know, they'll probably, you know, they'll probably, you know, like with, uh, you know, with uh, Erod, they would have Pedro you know, go fix him. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's really ugly seeing this and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mishandle him. You know, you just want to get him back on the right track as quickly as you can. And I hope that's what they do. We all hope so. Um, I'll just get into mine real quick. Mine's just more of a concern. It wouldn't be fair to, you know, use this guy as a zero. And it's hard to find a zero, really, outside of the ones you guys have picked because Nunez was four for five with a home run, ended that other game, and JBJ cleared the bases. The bases were loaded, and he had a bases-clearing double. So the normal suspects really weren't too bad. And Sandy Leon was one for three with an RBI. So mine is just more of a concern, you know, this week, and that's J.D. Martinez again. I I think he was my zero last week, mostly for uh, performance-related stuff. But he's got some back issues right now, left the game today with back spasms. This is a guy that you need in the middle of your order. So I'm just hoping they figure out, you know, what's, causing causing it and can get him healthy and if that means no more outfield I don't know if that's contributing to it or not you know if he's an everyday DH I'm totally fine with that because not having him at all will probably have its consequences we'll get into the race series in a little bit you know that could be a tough series but for the most part this month is you know, the schedule is pretty favorable for us. So um, once the tough teams start get you know, hitting us again, I, you know, y- you have to have JD in the order. So I hope they get him squared away. And part of my, you know, concern when I, when he was my zero was, is he healthy? You know, I mean, he was in the lineup. He never went on the, um, the DL UMF list, whatever. Um, so yeah, so we'll see. But that it's just it's just a big concern of mine at the moment. Yes, yeah, supposedly he caught his back spasm today. Uh, looking into the outfield when he was at, I believe it was at second base. Cora said on a fly ball that Devers hit, he just looked to the outfield. Boom! He caught his back spasm. And he told Cora like, "Listen, I felt something in my back." Cora's like, "All right, you're you're done for the day." Like, that's how that's how that happened. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if he's having any issues, he should be pulled, you know, even if it's precautionary and and sounds like that's that's what they did. Um, any thoughts before yeah. we move on? Yeah, I think you I think you hit it right on the head. Just I've seen him flailing a lot like off-speed pitches down in a way, something he he wasn't doing and I just feel like I don't know if it was just not seeing the ball well or just not being healthy you know what i mean like back spasms could be just a nagging injury that just i mean this doesn't go away quick enough you know what i mean yeah i mean i think he turns 32 this year so he's not a spring chicken by any means jeremy right yeah i mean back spasms are usually the product of a a larger problem 
um, it, you know, a back spasm is a muscle going out of whack, which usually happens because some muscle or tendon is pulling on it that normally isn't there. So again, it's not like, you know, you just didn't drink water and you're cramping. A back spasm is, from my understanding of the injury, a something that stems from something else. So that's concerning. And uh, Lou, you hit on it. He's had some, like, especially like fastballs away, up and away. He's kind of just waved at him. And, right. you know, right. I, 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 and I mentioned it like 15, 20 minutes ago where, you know, it's like one of those things where maybe you're not seeing it well, but I, I guess it's, it's also something where maybe you're afraid of fully extending on that because of the fact that there's, you know, the possibility of a spasm happening or, or whatever's bothering you, triggering something else. You know, look, at the end of the day, we're not going to get where we need to get without J.D. Martinez because Mookie has not been MVP Mookie. And as good as Rafi's been, um, he this guy is our most important hitter. Um, I don't think too many people would disagree with that. Um, and, and look, he's so consistent with run production being that, you know, how often does he come up with like a man on third and one out and not hit a, a fly ball that scores the run? Right. You know, like he always comes, he's always, he, I mean, he's, he can't run, obviously, but he's such a situational hitter. And I'm not talking about just hitting and running, but, you know, he just, he, he finds a way to do what's necessary for the moment. He's our best offensive player. I, I, I'm worried that if he's not what he can be, what we're trying to do, which, by the way, is, is again, we have to do coming out of a huge hole. It just made that much more harder by his, his inability to stay on the field the last 10 days. Absolutely. And he's a hitting machine, you know, and, and yeah. And I've noticed, I've noticed lately the Red Sox are getting pitched on the outside of the plate quite a bit. And I don't know if that's, if that's led to the inconsistency and whatnot, but but hopefully they figure it out. Um, let's just kind of get into the general segment right now. You guys mentioned Avoldi earlier. Um, I heard an interview on WEI. Alex Cora did his weekly interview on Wednesday. Was asked point blank by the uh, guys on the OMF show. Um, is Avoldi going to start or will he be put to the bullpen? And... He basically unequivocally said he's going to be a starter, but did leave some room in there to say, well, you know, he could eventually be in the bullpen, but he's going to start when he comes back. I was kind of hoping, you know, for more of a bullpen situation, but, you know, we've been fairly stable, you know, in the pen the last several games. Uh, you know, basically since the uh, the Brazier meltdown in uh, against Cleveland, but what are you guys' thoughts on uh, Evaldi? I mean, I've already kind of laid the groundwork how I feel about it. I mean, that we don't have a fifth starter. Weber's been trash. Uh, Velasquez is not available. Uh, it's got to be Evaldi. Um, I've also. Uh, I think about a month ago we talked about this. I do like him in, in like even a closer's role or like a defined role where he, he knows when he's going to pitch, which helps protect his elbow, which is obviously going to be a reoccurring issue. This is his second surgery in a Red Sox uniform with the loose bodies. He's had two Tommy Johns. Like He keeps getting healthy, and he obviously takes tremendous care of himself. 
So I, I don't think he's, you know, he's going to be able to pitch, but do you, are we going to keep going through the two months in the middle of the season where he's just not available? Um, and I've, I've, I've stated, I've stated on this podcast that I think one of the answers could be him to the bullpen, but that's not what this, this team needs a fifth starter. And, and, um, assuming he can work himself up to 75, 80 pitches by the time he's ready to pitch in the big leagues again, uh, he has to pitch. I mean, there's just, there's just no other way around it right now. I mean, there, look, when you're down the way we've built you down, we're behind two teams. Uh, and, and your ultimate goal is to get to like 95 wins and, and win the East. You're not going to do it with four starters and some jabroni. So, you, yeah. I mean, we, we, we have, it has, you have to have five starters. You have to be winning. You have to start winning these games at a 66, 65% clip. And you can't do that when your ace is two and seven and you don't have a fucking fifth starter. So it has to be him. Yeah. Period. Um, I think the same thing. There's no way with having guys like Weber and, and Velasquez that you would take a guy like Nate after what he did for us and then put him in a bullpen knowing that we need a fifth starter. There. I just, there's no way. I mean, and like you said, Terry, you said that this bullpen has been doing their job. They have been, especially today, knowing that it was going to be basically a bullpen day. They all did their jobs. Do you get what I'm saying? Like all these guys. They were they were had they had situations where there was guys on and they did not allow those extra runners to come in. Like they all did their job. I don't. There's no way that you put Evaldi in the bullpen. We we need him to be our our fifth starter. Period. Right now, I I do lean towards him being in the rotation. But you know, a week and a half ago, I was all for the bullpen, and maybe that's how I'll feel a week and a half from now. You know, if you know, assuming he gets a start here pretty quick. Um, and it looks like it could happen next week, but so, so two things, if they signed Keuchel to a one year, $13 million deal, then I would agree. He should be in the bullpen. The second thing, yeah, which they didn't do and they weren't in the running, which is just pisses me off. Um, but the second thing is and credit to the player. I, I don't think Evaldi would have an objection to whatever they ask his role to be, which is one of the reasons why I like the guy so much. So, I mean, one of the reasons why we're having the conversation is because this is not David Price. This is not Chris Sale. This is a player that does not have an ego by, by you know, professional sports standards. And they will, he will do what they ask, and he'll probably be successful at whatever they ask him to do, in my opinion. Uh, well, you mentioned Keiko. Should have signed Keiko. Should have signed Keiko. You know, I seen, a tweet, though, I seen a tweet, though, guys, that supposedly Keiko had a 7.50 ERA at Fenway Park. Can that be a reason why the Red Sox are just like, uh, maybe not going after this guy? You know what I mean? Like, it's he in, doesn't have good numbers. It's entirely because of the third luxury tax that are sold. They're just not willing to go over that. I don't really care to get much into the draft, but uh, our, our first overall pick this year was 43rd. The Yankees had two picks before us. Tampa Bay had three picks before us. And so I think... I just think they're a little concerned about that. He does have a 750 ERA at Fenway, so you know that you know. But it, like I said, it, it's still that might have been a factor if they had the flexibility to sign him or, or were willing to well, exceed that th- threshold. I, I, I look at that two ways. One, one of the reasons why he had a seven and a half ERA at Fenway Park is because he was facing the Red Sox. If you put a jersey, a Red Sox jersey on him, you take care of the problem. The 
second thing is, I, I, you know, I mean, he's been so good and so consistent for, you know, five years. He won a Cy Young. He's been a part of World Series, you know, caliber teams, a huge part of them. I just refuse to believe that that type of competitor is going to just come in here and, and be that bad of a, you know, I mean, you're talking about an astronomical bust. Um, I agree with Terry. I think the Red Sox have said we'll spend only to a certain degree, which part of the reason why they have to do that is because they keep signing guys like Panda and Pedroy and these shitty contracts, but we're paying people, you know, $20 million to go back to Arizona and throw a stick in the yard with their golden retriever. So, I mean, that's part of, that's the reason I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think the, 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 you know, the career statistics in Fenway Park played a role at all. Well, I mean, it's still, it's an uncomfortable stat. And I get what you're saying. Yeah, he's facing the Red Sox. And, you know, I didn't even mind if the Yankees signed him, you know, because he's been so terrible here. I'd also like to point out that I think him and Kimbrell are going to struggle, are going to struggle mightily. Neither one of them had a spring training None of the guys who signed late last year in spring training, and this was like late February, or late March rather, almost all of those guys except Arietta were just complete busts. And and Keiko himself, he's not... He's not a fastball guy, you know. His his fastball sits around ninety one, ninety two tops. And his bread and butter, his bread and butter is that changeup. Exactly, his off speed stuff, and it takes mm-hmm. a while to command that. And I just, I don't have any faith whatsoever. They're going to be an immediate impact for the teams that they sign with. And uh, just to touch on Kimbrel real quick, I did kind of a scathing live stream on it that people can find on my Twitter account. Um, Chicago is a, is a terrible market for him. And I think he's going to struggle for the same reasons. I think Keiko will just no real prep. And what is he without his fastball? He's, he can't command his off speed stuff. And it might help a little that he's in the national league and he hasn't been pitching to a lot of those guys for a few years, but you know, the American League figured him out. They stayed off his rising fastball, and I, I don't know how many times we saw at least one runner get put on the, in a couple of bad outings with Kimbrell. He'd walk the bases loaded. I just, yeah. I don't see him. I think Chicago's a terrible fit. Atlanta might have been better, but but neither of these guys, I don't think, are going to come out of the gates and, and be an impact. Yeah, with no spring training, that's going to be tough. That's going to be real tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, both of those guys, by the way, have legitimate track records. Kimbrel's a Hall of Famer. Um, they both are grinders. They're not. They're they're guys that have good characters. Like you know, no no character issues as far as work ethic or you know e- you know egos that you find out about. So. I'm going to assume that both of the guys have been pitching. You can't simulate real, uh, you know, innings, you know, real major league innings. So I don't care if they were pitching to high schoolers or in amateur baseball leagues or, you know, and at, the, you know, wherever they were pitching. Obviously, they were throwing. Um, I do think it, it would make sense that there's going to be some sort of learning, you know, adjustment period to getting back into it. But these are guys, these are two guys specifically that have 
significant track records. And I do think that if it takes a, an appearance or two or a start or two, I do think that if these teams are in it come September, they'll be factors. Long-term. And that's what these teams are worried about. They're not worried about the next two appearances or two starts or whatever. They want these guys. You know, the Cubs want Kimbrel ready for September, and the Braves want, you know, they're going to try to get 18 starts out of Keiko and the first three are total shit. I mean, that's fine if they get the balance of the 15 being good and, and, and it's the difference between getting them in the playoffs. Long- and I think that's exactly what the Red Sox could not. You know, like these guys, those other teams can take that kind of risk and be like, okay, like their first three stars or, their, or you know, Kimball's first three appearances out of the bullpen could be shit. But the Red Sox, in our in our position, being in third place, we can't go out there and send Keiko, you know, three starts in there and he's just getting blown up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think the Red Sox had that luxury. You know what I mean? Well, Hank, with, with... Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, I don't disagree with that necessarily. With Keiko long-term, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic, meaning beyond this year that he's still going to have, uh, you know, a, a few decent years. With Kimbrell, I'm a lot more pessimistic. Like, can you see Kimbrell figuring it out the way Chris Sale has figured it out, you know, to kind of reinvent no. himself a little bit. Like I can see Keichel doing it. I, I don't know if I can see Kimbrell doing it. I think, uh, what's that, what's that saying there? Pressure, pressure bust pipes, correct? And we've seen it. We've seen it. Kimbrell under pressure, he, he, he just bursts. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think he could change or try to, you know what I mean? Make some sort of adjustments or anything like that. He just tries to blow everybody away, and everybody in the major leagues get hit 98. If you're not hitting your spots, you're going to get hit, or you're going to end up walking the world. And that's what Kimbrel showed, and that's why he had to take $45 million, not a $100 million contract. Yeah, and the Braves are two games out of uh, first. The Phillies lead that division. Phillies have some bullpen problems as well. David Robertson, their you know offseason bullpen acquisition, uh, still on the DL. Um, so, you know, they, that was a potential landing spot for, for Kimbrell, but apparently the Cubs, I don't know if it was, you know, an extra year that the Cubs went and that's what won it. But, um, the, the Cubs are in a lot more of a dog fight right now. Um, they're basically tied, you know, for the, for the lead right now with the Brewers, which kind of surprises me given all the guys that the Brewers lost over, um, you know, the winter as well as the injuries they've had. And uh, and now the, the Cardinals are starting to kind of reel them in. They're only two and a half games out. So Chicago's a very volatile market right now, and that's that fan base is every bit as intense as the Red Sox and Yankees fan bases are. Their manager, you know, Joe Madden, might not be back next year, which I think is insane. But there's just so many stories coming out of that team right now, and I just, I just think it, it couldn't couldn't have been a worse fit for for Kimbrel uh, to go to. Um, let me just touch back on Evaldi here because I did want to get one other thing in. I have, I'll just reiterate one more time. I am leaning for him at the moment to go into the rotation. But and I do agree, he's better than all the other internal options. You know, Velasquez, Weber. We might see another minor leaguer start. Uh, you know, one of the doubleheader games this weekend. But 
He's certainly the best of all of them. However, he wasn't that great to start the year. And quite frankly, he was who I thought he would be. You know, he's a fastball guy. He's always over the plate. He gets knocked around quite a bit. Matches up well against the Yankees. So, you know, maybe that's kind of an ace in the hole if we get to the postseason. But um, I'm I'm just a little concerned that he might not be... You know, he still might not be, you know, uh, you know, as competitive as we want, even even as a fifth starter. And here's a couple of bullpen things as well. Matt Barnes, he's been slipping lately, and walks have been a huge problem for him in the last five games. As my tablet, uh, I hate this thing, by the way. In the last five. <laughs> In the last five games, he, uh, you know, he's walked two, one, one, zero in his appearance before today, and then he walked two today. So I don't know if this is like a, you know, uh, just command issues. I don't know if he's already kind of wearing out. I mean, he he takes the the highest stress parts of the order and. You know, so I'm a little, I'm a little concerned there. You know that maybe, maybe that could be an issue going forward. And we haven't really figured out the ninth inning. Are we going to use Walden there? Brazier looked. He gave up a home run uh, in the second game, but he pitched out of a jam today. So still don't really know what we're dealing with there. And Hembry has been phenomenal. So. Um, but I just, and he was used, he was basically used as a setup guy today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, there was a stat, I, I don't have it up, but in the last month or so, he has like a 0.75 ERA. Only Adam Ottavino has been better and he hasn't given up a single run, uh, for the Yankees in that, uh, sample size. But I'm just, I, I'm just, I've got one eye on the bullpen and I'm, I'm kind of half, expecting you know another blip again and i i don't know and i'm just i'm just not sold that avoldi's gonna you know is gonna lock down that that fifth spot the way we want him to yeah well obviously he just had loose elbow you know loose particles in his elbow i don't think anything's a guarantee which, again, brings me back to my prior point, which is Dombrowski's done fucking nothing. And they've, they're spent right to where they want to spend, so they, they don't want to spend any more money. They don't have any assets in the in the minor league system. So, I mean, what are your other options? So, I mean, like, I get it. I don't think Evaldi's a sure thing. No, I agree with you. But he's the lesser of any other evil. So, I mean, you know, I think that – look – no one's talking about Dombrowski, which is kind of hard to believe at this point. But th- this roster is significantly handicapped. Um, they're relying on guys that have significant health issues across the board, as do most most teams. So, so that, that part doesn't necessarily bother me. Uh, but you've got a guy, you know, you know, out with suspension. You've got, you know, all all these guys that that have, you know, Holt, a price. Uh, you know, Pierce, Moreland, Avaldi, all these guys that have, held, have that have had health concerns, and they're out for health. 
and they're, they don't want to spend money on guys like Keuchel. They haven't done anything to bolster the bullpen. They haven't solidified or identified roles for the back end of the bullpen. We still, it's a flip of a coin in the ninth. So, I mean, I, look, Valdi is your best option, and I think most people are going to agree with that. I think a lot of it just goes down to this roster is less than it could be and should be, in my opinion. Yeah, and just to, to, to just add on to that, this injury that, that Evaldi has, he's had in the past. I, th- I guess that's the positive thing about it is that he's had this, you know, he knows what was going to happen, how they, what they were going to take out. So I feel like he knows the rehab part of his arm. So I, that's why I don't think I'm too worried about the situation when it comes to Evaldi and those loose bodies because he's had this happen. You know what I mean? Like he knew he was going to die the amount of time he needed. He knew it all. I just feel like he's comfortable with the situation, and I feel like he's going to be fine. But like you said, he is that guy that we need. I'm just kind of looking at some uh, minor league numbers. Uh, Darwin's in Hernandez, who was really impressive in, in spring training and had one decent appearance the last doubleheader we had. I think that was against the Tigers. Uh, pitched very well, but he's currently getting shelled right now in Portland. So not a guy that's going to help the rotation or the bullpen. I've got uh, Travis Lakins right here. Um, he's, uh, let's see, and he's had five scoreless uh, outings in a row. So uh, maybe maybe he'll be due for another call-up, you know, as far as the bullpen goes. Uh, and Feltman, last I checked, was kind of grinding away, you know, not pitching great. I think his ERA was north of four. Um, so I don't know. If if any of these kids get called up, I, I want to see Alex Cora be a little bit more delicate with them and not throwing them right into the fire because that's what happened with Lakins the first time. He got put into these high-pressure situations, didn't handle them very well, and now he's back in Pawtucket. You know, if he kind of eased him in, maybe he'd be a part of the bullpen right now and kind of building up to a more defined role. But unless we can deal Bradley or I'm trying to think of maybe one other guy with some money on the books, I, I can't think of anyone because Porcello's not going anywhere. We need him. So short short of a Bradley trade, we're not going to be freeing up the payroll to kind of get away from that third luxury tax threshold. And, and Jeremy, I agree with you. Dombrowski seems to be getting a pass. And, you know, it was a deep market, you know, and I don't think he... He addressed the bullpen over the winter as uh, as good as he could have. Well, this is awkward. You've you've agreed with me, so now <laughs> it's just you know uncomfortable. All right. So let's get to the, let's get to this series because look, Tampa Bay they're thirty seven and twenty three. Uh, we've swept them in Tampa. They have been better than us all year um, with lesser talent. And with a very unique uh, approach to getting the first few outs of the of the ball game, and and that's gonna as we go through this series, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna be highlighted because uh, if if you were a um, you know if you were just picking up baseball now that kind of hockey's coming to an end, 
you're going to look and say, well, Tampa hasn't identified starters here, and that's because they like to go with a reliever for the first three outs and then throw the guy they expect to get 80 pitches out of. Um, it's a unique approach. Um, their their manager, Cash, in my opinion, is the top five manager. Uh, I thought that he should have won manager of the year last year when uh, I think they won 90, 90 or 93 games. They keep going. They keep trucking along. Uh, they hit a couple of road bumps uh, in the last week. Uh, but this is a, a significant challenge for the Red Sox. So uh, game one, uh, Terry, you want to you wanna take us through game one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rick Porcello versus Yanni Chirinos. Chirinos is a starter, so that could be more of a, a conventional matchup. Uh, Porcello has one start against them this year so far. Pretty decent in that outing. He went five and two-thirds, gave up six hits, two earned runs, walked only one. And struck out five. I think that was right around the time he was kind of starting to turn it around. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he could, you know, the strikeout total be up a little bit this time around. Uh, Chirinos has not faced the Red Sox this year, and he wasn't very good last year. August 17th, he pitched six innings, gave up nine hits, five earned runs, uh, walked one, struck out only one. So not not really a, a strikeout guy, and I think that plays well for us. And uh, he had a two-inning appearance uh, in April of last year where he gave up six hits, three earned runs. So this should be a pretty favorable matchup for the Red Sox in Game 1. Yeah, and Porcello has gone six innings in his last uh, seven games, or his last seven out of eight. That he start, he's gotten six innings. He's our workhorse. The guy, he just keeps doing his thing. It's going to be important for him to do that tomorrow because Saturday we do have that doubleheader, and we don't want, you know what I mean, for him to get shelled early and then have to go through the bullpen knowing that Saturday is going to be a long day. So we need a big start from Porcello come tomorrow. And I, yeah, that's a good. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. That's, I mean, it's a good point, and that's why I say I love Rick Porcello in the start because. He had that, and we talked about it multiple times. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but you know his fourth start, his fourth start to go, he gave up four runs in the first inning and still pitched seven innings with one additional hit, zero earned runs. So he's a type of guy that even if he hits some uh, problems early in the start, he's going to stick around in the game. Um, he, you know, in his last seven starts, he's got a 3.4 ERA, and that includes the four and two-thirds, nine hits, five earned runs he had against the uh, Yankees on Saturday. So he's been good. This is obviously not the Yankees. Uh, it's at Fenway, which, thank God, I don't have to watch a game in that just dumpster fire of a stadium, the Devil Rays. No offense, Liz. Uh, no, full offense. That stadium <laughs> sucks. That stadium um, is trash. I, oh, it's just a dumpster fire. So anyways, look um, – Porcello is perfect for the start for the reasons you stated, Lou. He's going to go. I don't care if it takes 120 pitches. Rick Porcello will throw six innings in this game. He's going to give you a chance to be successful on Saturday. Here's where I'm at with Rick Porcello starts. If you can score five runs, we'll win the game. Correct. Whether it's, I mean, that that's for me, that's, you know, in, in sale, it's three runs. Uh, you know, but with Porcello, he's so consistent. If you can get to five runs, you're going to win the game. So, um, you know, that's where I'm at with it. Uh, Terrence, Saturday, we've got two of them. 
David Price gets the first one, I believe. You want to take us through the 1 o'clock game on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, been pitching very well, you know, since coming off the DL with elbow tendinitis. He is the only Red Sox starter so far with two starts uh, against Tampa. Oh, well, Sale might actually, but he won't be in this series. But anyway, two starts in April, about a week apart. Five innings in the first one, gave up five hits. Two earned runs, two walks, struck out 10. A week later, he went an inning further, six innings, four hits, two earned runs. Uh, walked three, though, and struck out seven. Um, you know, should be should be a pretty uh, solid start for him. They're going with an opener in this game, and then Yarbrough will come in probably in the second or third inning. He also, like Chirinos, has uh, not... Oh, excuse me, I lied. He did face the Red Sox uh, one time this year on uh, April 19th and uh, only went three innings, gave up three hits on three earned runs. However, did strike out six. So if he gets himself into a groove, you know, this could be one of those games where, you know, you're going to grind a little bit. But... um, we're the team that has David Price, though, and uh, I think that first game is uh, definitely a, a decent matchup for us. I, I like this. Look, I think the idea of the the opener is unique, and I think it's effective. It's you know, so you're the one, two, three guys, right? And normally you're. You want your leadoff hitter to go up, take six pitches, and give give the rest of the lineup a look at what the guy's featuring, and you know how his command is, and how sharp his stuff is. And leadoff hitters come back to the dugout, and everyone wants to hear, you know, is this, is the ball popping? You know how how sharp's the slider? And you can't do that against the race, uh, double race, because you know this guy's going to come in, he's going to throw three, maybe six outs if the first inning's quick, and then it's going to be this Ryan Yarbrough kid. So, um, and it's it keeping makes their arms it, fresh. And it's keeping their arms well, fresh yeah. Starting, and, you know, going but, eighty pitches, eighty-five pitches. I mean, you're you're fresh. Well, well, not only that, but uh, the first half time through the lineup is is already done. So. Once you get to the third time through the lineup, they're still only seeing you for two times. So it's an interesting concept. I kind of like it. I, I, by the way, if you haven't told, been, you know, figured this out already, I, I feel strongly about Cash as a manager. This Yarbrough kids sucks though, um, and I, and I, assuming they struggle against the opener, um, I, I think they're going to score some runs here. Look, David Price has been your best starter. He's been probably your best art. No, wait, let me take probable out of the statement he's been your best arm and it's not even close he's got a 2.83 array besides the health issue he's been really really good he overcame a bunch of demons in his last start in yankee stadium i do i do expect them to win this game you know somewhere in like the four to eight runs to one range or four you know six to two seven to one somewhere in that range because i love david price in the start i love him at fenway park and i like our offense at fenway park I think really in these first two games it could come down to the bullpen because we, as we've said, we expect Porcello to do his job. We think Price will do his. So, um, you know, it just depends on those guys that we expressed some concerns about. You know, if they can if they can do their jobs in the late innings, then we're looking really good these first two games. I agree. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Because game two, game two of that doubleheader, we, I mean, I haven't seen anything of who's going to pitch for us, and and you know today, how many arms did we throw out there? I mean, what? All One, of two, them. three. Four, six, everybody pitched today. It <laughs> so, like yeah. Porcello and Price. We we already know Porcello's our workhorse. Prices have been our, our most consistent pitcher of the year. You know what I mean? So we need them to do their jobs, and then the bullpen will be rent, rested for Game Two of the doubleheader. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, with with Sale going a complete game, and then you know the bullpen game today, it really doesn't set up any better than Porcello and Price, assuming they're good. Right. I mean, you 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 really, and I think that's going to be a huge advantage to the Red Sox again. And I also like to highlight this is at Fenway Park. So, in, Terry, do you have any insight as who's going to start Saturday night? Because with the way Sale pitched, and then yes, everyone threw, but no one threw fifty pitches. Everyone's going to be available by the time Saturday afternoon rolls around. So, if if Porcello gives you six or seven, and Price gives you six or seven, which I think is what should be expected. I think we're going to be in a much better spot on Saturday. Keep in mind, with the bullpen and the new rules, the Red Sox, well, both teams will be able to pull up another arm for that second game. Right, Terry? Yeah, the, the, I'm glad you brought that up. On on days of doubleheaders, a team can call up a, uh, a, a player from the farm, and it, it doesn't count towards options, service time. Or any of those other formalities, they can. You can simply just add a, a 26th man, and what it's still listed as TBA. I think we can rule out Evaldi at this point because he does have to have a rehab start. He's only played uh, simulated games, so there won't be a surprise with him. Uh, Mike Shawarin is with the Red Sox right now. I was a little disappointed that he didn't get today's start. They went with Weber. But in hindsight, the Royals are nowhere near as good as the Rays, so maybe they're saving him for the... Uh, second game, and that's just a guess. And he's made ten starts with Pawtucket this year with a uh, three seven two ERA, averages about four and a half strikeouts per start. So you could see a combination of him and Velasquez. I know Walden goes extra, you know, goes multiple innings. You know, I'm not. Uh, I, I worry about him getting kind of burnt out as well, but. Um, but I, I think Shawarin's going to get the start and, and hopefully give us three, four, if we're really lucky, five innings. But the, I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. okay with that, 100%, you know. Yeah. So yeah, me too. I would, I would prefer this start be a Valdi, not to, not to double back on that, but <laughs> it's not. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and look, if things go the way they're supposed to go in game one and two of the series, game three is kind of gravy if you can find a way to win it. You know, in Major League Baseball, it's like 60, not 60, I'm sorry. It's some, you know, ridiculously high percentage of these double headers end up in splits. So if you can win game one, you know, and you've won game two, you know, game three is fine, especially because, you know, um, look. Uh, don't lose the momentum, and I think they have a chance to split or better here. 
and I think the key to the series, if we're right in our analysis in game one and two, there's no analysis to be conducted in game three. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. But the, then you get Blake Snell, who's the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, who's against Erod. Against Erod, and look, Snell is. Uh, he got killed last uh, his last start against the Tigers. He gave up six earned runs. Um, you know, he's given up five or more earned runs in three of his twelve starts this season. So he's not the same guy. He's three and five with a three point six eight three point six eight ERA. He's still striking out a bunch of people. He's got ninety one of them. Erod's been good. Uh, his ERA is still a full run higher than Snell, who's not himself. So I think this game favors strongly to Tampa. Um, so again, you know, game one and two, and then the interesting part of game three, I, I think you lose this game. Snell's good, real good. He's a competitor. He's got plus stuff. Uh, I don't, you know, he's not going to be afraid of the Red Sox and Fenway Park or any or anywhere else. Um, and this seems to be the type of game that you could lose four to three. Well, boys, I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you guys, but Erod to me is so predictable. I, I just I don't know what I'm gonna see. Like, what, what are we gonna get? Like, that's how I feel about Erod every time he gets on on the bump. It's like I feel like he has his cutter working on the outside part of the plate, and then everyone is just leaning outside to go get his pitches because he's not jamming anybody. He's not beating anybody in the inside. Remember that fantastic game he had at Fenway was because he was mixing it up, but he was he was jamming people inside. And then he was going outside with his stuff, but I just feel like he's so predictable. I, I, I mean, I'm not an E-Rock fan at all. Well, he was pretty good though against the Royals. Granted, not a good team, but he he did go five and two thirds. He didn't walk anybody against them. He struck out seven, so it's a little encouraging that he is coming off of a decent start and. I'm going to take Snell at, at face value here. You know, I, Jeremy, you know, underscored that he has had a few rough outings and uh, not quite where he was last year. But uh, we haven't faced him yet in, in 2019. In 2018, we faced him four times. He was scoreless in two of those, just completely shut us down. Only gave up four earned runs against us all season last year and struck out 27. So he was filthy last year. Absolutely, and I just so that that's a tough start. But I don't wanna, I don't wanna just kind of you know gift wrap it and call it uh, definitely a Tampa win. Uh, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that Erod will have the best year of his career. His ERA is high right now, but that's because he's been lit up a couple of times. That six-run outing a few starts against against Toronto just the Blue Jays, yeah, is it really inflated that a little bit. So I think he's kind of quietly a little bit better than what his numbers, uh, you know, suggest. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you know, our offense will just carry some momentum into that game as well. But um, it's going to be a fun matchup because if Erod if e does come out of that game with, with a good start, he's probably going to have a strong month. And, you know, I'd welcome that. It could be an encouraging start for him to win against Snow, especially. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah, that's a good point. If he does beat Snell, that's a, that that to me is something he that's going to be encouraging, and and hopefully he sees it that way too. Look, I, I'm not saying 
um, we're going to lose the game. And but Snell's a problem. I, I, I know his track record against the Red Sox is is good. He was injured uh, a couple weeks ago, so he's still. I think this will be his third or fourth start since coming off the uh, DL. Um, and I'm, you know, I don't know that I've ever come out and said which how I feel about Erod, but he drives me fucking nuts, <laughs> you know. And and here's the thing, you know, in that last start, shit, I thought I was the only one. No, I mean, look, his stuff is good enough to be uh, number two on probably twenty teams. But here's the problem: is he gets to a point where he stops trusting the stuff. And then he just doesn't like so he'll get ahead oh two like no one's business, and then he nibbles and and fucks around with it and then he's a five inning guy as a result even if he does get those outs on those three two pitches, and his pitch count is through the roof. It's through the roof and he puts too many people on base that have nothing to do with base hits. His his batting average against is always good, but his he he walks too many per nine. Um, with that said, I, I also tend to agree somewhat with Terry's line of thinking, which is I think his ERA is inflate, inflated. He's six and three. He's made every one of his starts. Um, but I just I'm a Snell guy, I, and honestly, before Snell signed the contract, I was really hoping that the Red Sox would find a way to flex on the Rays and get him somehow. That's not going to happen. I like Snell. I think he's really good. I think he's really talented. He's got you know, plus stuff, plus, you know, it works effectively in the strike zone, doesn't leave a lot of balls in the middle of the plate. You know, I, he pitches well in big regular season games anyways. So, you know, I, it's going to be a tough game. I, I'm most excited for Sunday at 1 o'clock for the series. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Yeah, I mean, with Snell, I, I'm kind of reaching when I say this because it's, it's just a theory, but... I mean, he might be a Tampa-only ace. I, I have no idea, and he's not, you know, he's not pitching like he was last year. You know, he's pitching okay. He'd probably be, I don't know, the third best pitcher on the Red Sox right now, but um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. The day he plunks Gary Sanchez in, in Yankee Stadium, I'll be like, all right, he he might have the balls to pitch in a big market, but so many of those guys pitch so well down there, and then, you know, they're not quite as good when they move on in free agency. So, and another thing I, I want to point out, we swept them in Tampa. They swept us in Fenway. So we're playing better in the opposite ballpark, and it is at Fenway this uh, weekend. So... Maybe I'm reading into it a little too much, but, uh, you know, it's still a pattern. The Red I mean, Sox, I wouldn't the Red read Sox it. got to take either a split. We can't we can't lose this series. Not after winning four in a row. I mean, yeah, Kansas City is Kansas City, but you have to win these games. The Red Sox can't go, you know, lose three out of four or get swept by this team because I'm going to tell you something right now, that's going to be bad. <laughs> I mean – that's just going to put us in a hole. I think that we're not going to be able to get out of. I, I don't. I, I think we're looking at a splitter three and one. Um, it, there's just too much. Uh, there's just no way that Erod Price and Porcello lose, and then who knows what happens with the second game of the doubleheader. Um, so, I agree with you. And by the way, I, I think the Royals came at a good time. 
they needed that series, and I'm hoping it's a spring. I've said this, oh, my God, like every podcast. I'm hoping it's a springboard. I hope that this is the point where we look back and say, uh, you know, this is where the, where things turned around. I, I have no idea what to expect. Every time we have said that, every time they've come off a sweep, they underachieve and lose in the next series. So, who? I mean, honestly, who the fuck knows at this point? The Red Sox, the Red Sox have not been, was it four games above 500 all season? We get to that fourth game above 500, and then we're just shitting the bed. That's how it is. That's how it's been. Well, our yeah. momentum is pretty good. I mean, the Yankees just snapped, uh, I think, a three-game uh, losing streak today in the in their finale against the Blue Jays. Uh, the Rays did get swept over the weekend against the Twins, who have a pretty high-powered offense, but they did take two out of three uh, against the Tigers right after. Um, won today's game 6-1. to one. And going into that Minnesota series, before they got swept, they had won five in a row. So that might have been just a little bit of a blip for them. Um, we won't be facing Charlie Morton in this series and their acquisition from last year. Tyler Glass now still on the DL, but is probably going to be back in a, in a few weeks, they think. So um, we just got to we just got to hit on their spot starters and if we can pull an upset on Sunday then we're looking really good because this is a month where we could get I mean we're four games above 500 right now I mean this would be a great month to get you know eight to ten games above it and uh and then we got two games against the Yankees in the very last series so that's another uh opportunity to um kind of chop their lead down that team that Yankees team man I I don't even know how they've been doing this to be honest <laughs> you know no soup they almost have no superstars and they're out there just balling these no-name guys are just balling I mean the Red Sox have no excuse we have to win our games yeah totally agree now you know it's look and I've said we've said it a hundred times it's now we're now approaching the middle of June quit fucking around Mm-hmm. And start winning these games. You, get, I'm sorry, uh, Porcello has to beat Chirinos, and Price has to beat Yarbrough, and then we'll see what happens if we split the back half of the series. Um, and we're three and one. You know, we're now six games over 500, and we're cooking. Uh, hopefully, the the Yankees will struggle, drop a game. But the other thing is, when you're facing the teams ahead of you in the standings, which obviously the Devil Rays are. Those are the games. If you're going to get to the point, if you're going to become the team you want to become, you got to beat the teams that you have the most direct effect on the standings. And this is that kind of series. This is that kind of series. You know, if you happen to sweep, by the way, you're one game behind them in the standings for both the East and the wild card. So, I mean, you have a tremendous amount of say here as how does this thing go. So, time to win some games, Boston. Let's go. And if it doesn't, if this is a, if this was an abysmal month, you know, I don't think it will be. But if it is, I mean, it's just, it's not going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be a mountain in front of us uh, going forward, and, and it'll make the trade deadline really interesting because do we sell a little bit? You know, I and I, there are a hundred different scenarios in which we could do that. So. We'll save that for another show, but but July thirty first gets a lot more interesting if we tank and if yeah, if we absolutely. don't if we don't tank and this ends up being the best month so far, then 
it's going to be a dogfight, you know, through through the second half to try to win this division for the fourth year in a row. So, any final thoughts before we wrap? No. Okay. Let's well, go. Let's go win a series and fucking a with the Bruins tonight in the officiating. So. Um, Let's hopefully, uh, by the time we talk, we're either in Game 7 or whatever it's going to be. But, but a lot of exciting uh, sports in Boston this weekend. Uh, the Patriots collect their win their rings tonight, so we'll have some, uh, some media on that tomorrow. So it should be a good sports weekend. Enjoy it, everybody. All right. Good, good job, Lou. Thanks for joining us. Already. Have, have a good night. one, guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Episode 140 in the books. Good series against the Royals. Plenty of uh, stuff to go over tonight, and you wouldn't think there would be coming off of a sweep of a bad team, but uh, definitely covered a lot. So uh, thank you for uh, joining us and for everyone else on uh, iTunes and all the other apps. We, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. So we will be back Sunday night to recap this Tampa series and I don't even know who we have after this, but it's a shitty team. I know that. So, um, so yes. So have a good uh, rest of your uh, work week. Actually, what? Tomorrow's Friday. Have a good weekend, everyone. Take care. Insane.